Re-Evaluate. A 20-minute BS-free conversation with real estate movers and shakers. And your host, White Rock CEO, Jordan Gerard. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Reevaluate Wet Rock's 20-minute real estate podcast with industry leaders where we ask challenging questions to evaluate and reevaluate market trends. I'm your host, Jordan Gerard, co-founder and CEO of Wet Rock AI. I'm very excited because this is our first podcast here at Reevaluate. And as such, I've invited someone very close to the Wet Rock AI team, an industry leader, a developer, investor, and philanthropist, Joe McMillan. Joe, welcome. Jordan, thank you very much. It's an honor to be here, and it's an honor uh, to be the very first individual to be on Reevaluate. So thank you very much for having me. Of course. So let's jump right into the first topic. 2020 was a challenging year for the industry globally, especially in New York City, which is one of your largest markets. Yet in the same year, you've started several projects in South Florida, and you have launched a new venture called Azure, which is a merger of DDG and Paris-based GS Invest. Can you quickly talk a little bit about Azure's mission, and then we'll talk about the, the timing of launching Azure? Yeah. Uh, Azure's uh, mission was to bring together two disparate uh, portfolios of assets. There was a large residential portfolio uh, in North America and an industrial portfolio in uh, Europe. And so Azure was uh, brought forth in order to have those two as one and provide a level of diversification that uh, was not achievable before when they ran a separate entity. So the, the platform together has tremendous bandwidth and much more ability to uh, participate you know, across the cycle, across asset classes. Very exciting. So as a founder, I was always told that the best time to start a company was during a recession or during an event when the economy tends to be a little down. Was the timing of the launch of Azure specifically planned for COVID or is it something that has already been in the work and just was released at that time? Yeah, the, the timing is not coincidental. I mean, if you look at the timing, you know, the companies I've established throughout my career, you know, I've established several, the last two being uh, DDG and Azure being the, uh, the more recent, uh, the two, two major platforms. And so DDG was started uh, coming out of the uh, 2008 the financial crisis and uh, the Great Recession, that many call it. And Azure was started during COVID, which also was a financial crisis, although you know, we came out of it much, much uh, quicker than anyone expected. And so you, the individuals that have told you that the best time to launch uh, new platforms is a recession are correct. Uh, particularly in the real estate, uh, buying in a bottom is the best place to be. You know, when others are frightful, that's when you should try and seek opportunity. And so that's uh, that's a strategy we deployed very successfully uh, back in uh, 2008, 9, and 10. And another one that uh, you know we're going to deploy again. And we've had a tremendous launch, and look forward to the next uh, you know two to three years. Very exciting! Congratulations on that. So, talking about diversification for a minute, the U.S. National Home Price Index is up 26% year over year. The labor market is the tightest it's been in 30 years. It's impossible to hire people. At the same time, we see prices in Europe cooling off quite a bit. It's minus 4.5% in Italy, minus 4% in Portugal, minus 3% in Spain. Given that you have a real a background as a hedge fund guy, 
Do you view your European investment as a hedge against your U.S. real estate portfolio? Yes. And it's a hedge in multiple different ways. If you look at the current platform we have at Azure, you know, we're, we're hedged across asset class and we're hedged across geographies. You know, here in North America, you know, we have assets uh, Northeast, you know, South Florida, uh, California, and in the Midwest. And we have a diverse mix of uh, both residential condominium, residential rental, and uh, as well as, you know, smaller pieces of uh, retail and hospitality. Whereas in Europe, we have largely an industrial platform with some residential and some hospitality. So if you look at the portfolio in total, it's split geographically across two continents. And it's also split uh, asset class across two continents, you know, roughly 50-50 assets and 50-50 as to geography. And so it it was a hedge. And that's part of what we wanted to do is when you when you look at real estate, it is very cyclical. And sometimes you have to live it in order to really appreciate how cyclical it is. It's a highly cyclical business. Uh, it's driven you know, by demographics. It's driven by interest rates. It's driven by the broader economy. And the best platforms have the ability to sustain themselves throughout different cycles. And whether that be you know asset class, something like an interest rate spike, whether that's you know, general geographic and demographic trends. And it smooths out your performance. And so you could have one asset doing very well and another asset not doing so well. But you put them together and you reach a great median state where it smooths out the ups and smooths out the downs. It's much more easier to forecast. It's easier to staff. Uh, it's easier to manage. It's very interesting. So for background, we'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the diversification of your portfolio in the U.S. specifically um, in later questions. But you and I have quite a few things in common. One of them is being very data-driven. Obviously, you are an early investor and early user of WhatRock. I wanted to ask you the trends that you see post-COVID and post-Brexit in Europe versus what you see post-COVID in the U.S. Obviously, this is not considering the most recent changes in, in, in new variants for COVID. Understood. Yeah, I mean, and COVID uh, was was a tragedy by uh, any measure of grand proportions, and so you know, really, you know, really heartfelt for all those who who suffered and lost uh, during COVID. And you know, COVID's not over yet. You know, we're 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 coming out the other side of uh, of the the worst of it. But you know, there are variants. You know, there's Delta. You know, there's others. There's Omicron that, uh, that are that are circulating. So you know, we need to be you know cautiously optimistic, but. Yes, as your questions go about the post-COVID, post-Brexit, post-COVID, you're seeing two things, which may sound like they don't go together, but they really do. You're seeing individuals come back towards major cities, uh, whereas you know places like you know Paris cleared out, uh, Geneva cleared out, you know Munich cleared out. I mean, people went to the country. You know, they 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 got out of the cities. They were nervous. And they're coming back. You know, cities are alive again. They're well. You know, their their vibrancy is there. You know, traffic is uh, is, is is bad, which is you know oftentimes good for the economy. But uh, you know, it's it's not necessarily a pleasurable thing or, or environmentally friendly. But you know, if you have the traffic back, you have the, the people on the street, you have retail coming back, you know, restaurants. And so it, that's been fantastic. But at the same time, you see individuals working remotely, and so you see this swing where. The large metropolitan areas are back, but at the same time, people are working remote. And one of the things that, that both of those have in common 
is that uh, people need somewhere to live. And a large portion of our, our thesis as a business is to develop and or buy multifamily residential. And so whether someone's in a city or whether someone's in the country, they got to live somewhere. And, you know, they can work. They can work from their dining table. You know, they can order from their dining table. And so that's been very, very beneficial to residential portfolios, regardless of where they're located. You know, it's been, it's been phenomenal because if you're, if you're, if you're working in city center or you're working uh, outside, you know, you, you, you are going to, you know, have to, uh, to live somewhere. You're going to have to sleep somewhere. And so that's been good for, for that asset class. And the other thing, which has also been done very well, is uh, you know online you know product buying. Whether you use Amazon.com or whether you you know go to you know another source you know somewhere else uh, you know nationally, you know you, you you go online to buy. You know more things are bought online now uh, than ever have happened historically, and you see a lot of need for industrial. You're seeing it all throughout Europe. You're seeing it here in the states too. So I think that the two best asset classes. In our mind, in our strong opinion, is residential and industrial, and those are the two that we have the largest exposure to. And so that's you know the post-COVID uh, portion of your question. The post-Brexit portion is significant portion of our portfolio is in France, and France has been one of the largest beneficiaries of Brexit. If you, if you look, I mean there have been numerous businesses that have left London and they've gone to the continent. And, you know, whether they've gone to Paris or whether they've gone to, you know, Frankfurt, you know, whether they've gone to Amsterdam, Paris is a tremendous beneficiary uh, of that. And the surrounding areas within France uh, have done extremely well as a result of that. And so our, our, our hedge uh, was timed very well and breaks have benefited us. And I think we'll continue to benefit from it. Excellent. So coming back, shifting the intention back into, into the U.S., You've slowly exited the New York City and San Francisco market. You have several projects in New York City that are um, now selling and completed. You also have your first project in Florida that was 3550 South Ocean in Palm Beach, and you seem to have new projects in South Florida. What data has informed your move into Florida, and what do you do with potential deals in on the East Coast and the West Coast? Are you completely exiting those markets? No, we're not exiting those markets. We remain very active in New York, very active in San Francisco. Uh, additionally, we'd like to be in Southern California as well. We're just not there yet. And so I, I think it goes back to your diversification comments uh, that we talked about you know, at the beginning of the interview, is that the, the entry into South Florida is both diversification and also driven by you know demographics and economics. And so you know, New York will always be New York, San Francisco will always be San Francisco. You don't see long term in New York going away. You don't see San Francisco going away. I mean, it'll have ups, it'll have downs, but those are those are two anchor cities on both the East and West Coast. What we liked about South Florida is the demographics. It's a growing population. Where if you look at California generally, the population has not been growing or it's been decreasing. If you look at New York, it's not growing or it's decreasing depending on you know which counties you're looking at uh, throughout the state. In Florida, it's growing. You know, Florida's gained congressional seats. You know, Florida has a higher population. Uh, if you look at the, uh, the the economic growth, it's been been higher than most places around the country. And so we we saw the demographics going that way with population. We saw the economics going that way with growth. And then you also have the, the benefit of the tax situation. The tax situation in Florida is materially better than California 
or New York. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's a, a big reason from a tax perspective why you see individuals, you know, leaving higher cost states and going to places like Florida, going to places like Texas or Arizona, going to the Sun Belt. They get better weather. Uh, they get a lower cost of living. They get more for the money. They don't have to pay as much tax. And so the, those, those align that uh, really interest us in going into, into Florida. Makes sense. So COVID was obviously a disaster for the real estate market, but certainly around December of 2020, the market peaked back up like never before. Just an example, Brooklyn multi-transactions grew 190% between September and December of 2020. And on your side, on the condo side, sales price are pre-16 levels or even pre-15. Yet there still seems to remain fear in the market. Do you think there's, it's more of a political fear than a, an economic fear at this point? And if that's true, how do you quantify the political fear, particularly as you're talking about the, the higher cost of living states? Are you speaking to states generally or a particular market? You've talked about New York, California. I mean, which, which, which market would you like to address first? Whichever, whichever you prefer. Well, let's, let's take New York, for instance. There was a tremendous exodus from New York. And I remember during peak COVID, uh, you know, having stayed in the city some, I left the city some, but in one particular instance, going through Times Square, and there was not one other individual or one other car on the street, nowhere, for block after block. And people were afraid, and rightfully so. We, there were a lot of things we didn't know, but that, that's not going to last forever. Uh, it was a very weird experience. It was like something out of a movie. But you know, now you go to Times Square, and it's as crowded as it was before. And so I think you saw a fear where everyone wanted to be outside of population centers, and there was really no volume. And it's hard to make a, mo- a market when there's no volume, whether it's in, uh, you know, in the in, you know public markets, whether in private markets, you know, uh, real estate markets. You know, you, you need you need volume to have uh, real real uh, real market activity and so the velocity went way down and the transactions were so low that pricing really couldn't be achieved and so you saw this huge spike in inventory as it relates to condominiums and or residential availability inventory spikes pricing goes down it's you know supply and demand so that's what you saw once it appeared that we had uh, vaccines on the horizon the COVID uh, would be able to be controlled, to be able to be manageable, which you know, which it largely is now, and headed in that direction even more so. Then there was a return back to some sense of normalcy, but you had this long period of time for over a year where there were virtually no transactions. There were very few leases written in New York City, and there were very few condominium sales in New York City. And so you had pent up demand of, of, of twelve to fifteen months of literally almost nothing happening. And so when that dam broke and individuals came back and, you know, whether they were looking to rent or whether they wanted to buy and they had, you know, families and they had to figure out where they're going to school, et cetera, there was a, a rush to real estate and you saw pricing shoot up significantly to where now you're seeing velocity extremely high. Pricing has gone up as well. And the number of units in inventory, whether it's you know lease or whether it's buy, are significantly diminished. If you look at your rents, rents were down significantly, and now they're back up pre where they were before. 
and condominium prices, although they're neighborhood by neighborhood, some neighborhoods are not back up where they were before, some are exceeding. And so that's really what happened. And I think that we're, we're back in a place now where the market is very robust. It's the most robust market we've seen in years. And uh, we expect it to continue uh, well into 2022. And I don't see any slowdown in 22. You know, we'll get out 12 months from now and then you know, it's, it's, you know, we have to see what the economy does with interest rates, you know, markets, et cetera. But it's going to be very, very robust next six to 12 months. All right. It's a perfect transition to my next question, which effectively is about market correction in real estate or not. Uh, last month, Goldman Sachs chief economist warned of a substantial slowdown, particularly after the numbers related to employment, to the, the tightness of the of the labor market, and to delivery supply chain issues. Is that something that worries you in the US more than it worries you on the European portfolio? Uh, I will address it in, in a couple different manners. I, I don't think that the economy will slow down due to uh, a lack of workers. I think that what we're seeing is you're seeing a lot of workers sitting on the sideline. And the government pumped by various different metrics somewhere between four trillion and six six and a half trillion dollars into the economy, and a lot of that money was you know given to individuals uh, for you know various different programs that were necessary in order to keep uh, you know keep the economy moving, and so you have a large number of former individuals who were in the workforce that took themselves out. They didn't need to work. You know, they had money and they're living off of it. And so gradually, the likelihood is that you will see some of those come back into the market. And you'll see, you know, the the the, the, the amount of uh, available workers sitting on the sideline go down. I expect that. And then there's also been, you know, a fear of immigration as well as it relates to, you know, bringing COVID in. Uh, you know, there's also a transition out of the last administration of this uh this uh, administration in DC. And so you'll, you'll see more immigration. You're going to see more people come back into the workforce. So I think that will, will level itself out. Although finding proper staffing across any industry and any business uh, from, you know, wages that are extremely high to wages that uh, are are on the lesser side is very challenging right now. And so I think that uh, from a growth perspective, I think we're, we're well situated for growth. And I think the workforce will largely uh, reestablish itself. The, the biggest concern that I see is interest rates. And right now, interest rates are low. And as interest rates, we have high inflation. And so as interest rates go up to try and tame inflation, it's like turning a dial and it's never perfect. And so you don't, you don't want to raise too fast. You don't want to raise too slow. And so I think that that's going to be the biggest challenge uh, facing the Fed. And I think the fact that uh, you know, Chairman Powell uh, will, be, will be in again for another term, I think, is exceptional. I think continuity is good right now. The markets like it, uh, both domestically and globally. And I think that'll be that that that'll be a, a, a very uh, you know, soothing hand as we go, uh, you know, for over the course of the next uh, several years. And I think that uh, the market will respond well to that. I agree with you 100. percent So, last question I have for you, and probably the most uh, the most exciting one. You have rolled out in 2021 a very interesting multifamily platform focused on Pennsylvania multifamily properties. Obviously, a lot of what we do at Rock is multifamily data. How did you pick PA? How did you pick multifamily in PA? And is that another one of your market hedges? 
Uh, it is a market hedge, and it's also the ability to aggregate a platform. And the way we picked Pennsylvania is we looked at uh, markets that were within proximity to markets we were in already. You know, because as we want to grow a platform, you know, we really you know, boiled down to you know five or six markets in the country. And in looking around from a pricing perspective, in New York, uh, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, we, we felt that the, the pricing metrics in Pennsylvania were the best of all those markets. If you look at the, the buy-in price on price per foot, price per door, it was lower. If you look at the cap rates we could get, the cap rates were higher. And so we fundamentally felt that uh, the going in was, was stronger on the metric side. And we think there's going to be upside in the rents. And so that's, that's how we, we picked uh, that, that particular you know, state to go into. And we've been very successful. We've been making acquisitions, you know, building onto the portfolio, you know, adding to the platform. And as we go, you know, we tend to, to, to scale and we tend to go uh, into different states and we'll go into different markets. We had to pick one market to test first. We didn't want to test five at once. We wanted to pick one. And we're very happy with the one we picked. Excellent. And certainly hope that Warwell can, uh, can help you. Uh, find more deals, accessible markets, just get into markets that you're not as familiar with. So well, last we, question for we, you. We, we are utilizing White Rock internally and uh, we utilize the AI from White Rock. And I had a report uh, put in front of me uh, from White Rock as recently as yesterday. And so the technology that White Rock has that you developed and your team has developed is quite powerful. And it's something that we intend to use more of as we go forward. Well, very much appreciate it. Last quick question as we wrap up this conversation. Do you have any real estate advice or investment suggestion for people that are listening to us? The best advice I could give would probably be do what you love and the money will take care of itself. And yeah, I, I was given that piece of advice by my college calculus professor, uh, ironically on a golf course. And I neither liked calculus nor liked golf. And, uh, you know, he, he gave me that piece of advice and it's always stuck with me. And so I think, I think that's true in life though. I mean, if, if you're, if you're happy with what you're doing, it's almost like you're not going to work. And if you're not going to work, you're doing your passion. And if you're passionate about it, you'll be successful. And then everything else will fall into place. Uh, and as far as investment suggestions, you know, I, uh, I don't want to give away all the secret sauce today. So I'm going to leave that one on the table. Perfect. Well, couldn't agree more with your calculus professor's, um, thoughts. So it was great to have you on this podcast as our first guest. Um, thank you for your time, Joe. Jordan, In the meantime, if you want the transcript of this podcast or if you're looking for cutting-edge real estate data, please visit whatrock.ai. You'll find unique data sets and analytics available absolutely nowhere else. Our guest next month is a developer, a property owner, and a lender who's been in the industry for 30 plus years. He grew his company from several hundred million dollars of capital to over $3 billion in under four years. For more details, please visit whatrock.ai. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Reevaluate, the BS-free conversation with real estate movers and shakers. For more information or the podcast transcript, visit whiterock.ai. See you next month.